Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast, our big college football season preview extraordinaire, and pleased to be joined by Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader to talk a little South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Matt, how are we doing? Good, Nate. How are you? Good, good. Uh, last time we talked, the Jackrabbits were first go bound and going to that they lost a heartbreaker to Sam Houston State. I don't think we've talked since then, so um, just your overall thoughts, I guess, from that game, because it, it's been a sh- not that long ago, a mere three months or whatever, three months and change, since uh, that uh, it was deemed heartbreaking loss. Uh, yeah, it does, and it does feel like it was just a little while ago. You can tell the difference between, you know, having a normal off season and then coming back on such a short turnaround. Um, but I think everyone's excited about that. You know, I don't get the sense that anyone feels like, oh, geez, this wasn't enough time, our bodies aren't ready, or or any of that. And it helps that, you know, every, all the players are allowed to return, that the seniors are granted next year and all that kind of thing. So, um, it, weird, but I, I think everyone is excited to have it back to normal. Um, as far as, you know, that game itself, I, it's hard not to look back at it and, and think, you know, that that's a game that, with better circumstances, the Jackrabbits probably win mm-hmm. and maybe even win comfortably. You know, they're mm-hmm. off the conference player of the year gets hurt essentially the first play of the game. Uh, so they have to play the whole game with a guy who was their third string quarterback when the season started. Uh, you know, and then just the rain and the weather delays and, and everything that happened. Um, and Isaiah Davis, you know, has those two touchdown runs that are, you know, historic type yes. of plays that everyone in the country was talking about. It mm-hmm. just kind of felt like it was meant to be at that point. And then again, the last play of the game, I just went back and watched it the other day. And, uh, you know, Adam Bach slipped and fell. You know, it's not like he wasn't in position. It's not like they got, you know, outcoached on a, on a call or anything there. You know, it's it's been raining all day. The field's free and receiver goes for the game-winning touchdown and Adam Box there to cover him. He slips and falls. Touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, just, it's just so many things that if you're an SDSU fan or you know, a coach or player on the team, I can only imagine how hard it is, you know, to look back at those things and, and wonder what if. Absolutely. And, you know, given that it happened just a few short months ago, I think that's one of the things that some people are concerned about, some Jackrabbit fans, or just I guess there's some questions abound about just how healthy is the team coming in? You know, how tired are they? Like, how sharp are they mentally? How, how uh, you know, how healthy are they physically? I think are those storylines that we're going to have to watch for throughout the season that are a little different than in a normal season, given the 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 shortened uh, off season that the Jackrabbits had. Uh, I think to some degree that's to be determined. You know, everyone feels good right now because they've had you know a few months off, and aside from the you know catastrophic injuries that the Jacks had to you know Mark Rudowski and Jaboria Gibbs, and I think there were a couple other guys. You know, the guys that just had sort of their usual bumps and bruises, uh, most of them seem to think they're okay. And I think they will be, but we won't know for sure until they start playing again. And who knows, maybe we'll get six, seven games into the season and guys will be like, man, I feel a lot more beat up than I normally would at this time of year. Then we'll sort of have our answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, another thing that factors into it, too, is just different teams have different levels of depth. You know, South Dakota State's probably one of the deepest teams in the entire country. And I'm not just talking about roster size. You know, everybody has 100 guys on their team. But, you know, the Jacks, as we saw last year, you know, often played 25 guys on defense in a game. Right. You know, and, you know, when you have that kind of rotation and are using that many guys, that that limits the wear and tear. And that makes you uh, better able to handle the rigors of a season, you know, physically and mentally. And, 
you know, you mentioned the mental side of it too, coming back off this short layoff. That's one thing that uh, has been very consistent, uh, a very consistent message uh, from every player and coach that I've talked to is that it's so much more fresh in their minds because the off season was so much shorter that they didn't have to spend nearly as much time, you know, reviewing concepts or going over schemes or installing new stuff. And again, that's also helped by the fact that, you know, essentially nobody graduated. So there aren't as many new guys that you're trying to teach things to. Uh, But I do think that's going to be a fringe benefit is, is the the guys, guys should be sharp. You know, I was talking to a kid uh, from the USF football team and, you know, they didn't even play in 2020 at all. Right. And I, I asked him how that was going. And he said, well, you know, one thing we've noticed is when you have all this time to practice, he's like, our execution is really good. Like guys, know exactly what they're doing and there's a lot fewer mental mistakes and it's a little bit different situation here where they did play a season and it just got delayed but mm-hmm. i think the same concept will hold true that they've you know been doing it so recently and and had so much time and all these guys have that experience and have played together that i think you should see a really high level of football that guys will be executing at a high level and you maybe won't have as much of that you know first or second game rust or you know just not quite being being whipped into game shape so to speak so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on in the first few weeks too and it helped you know i think they there was a lot of sense and pride of within the the program or within the team that you know they didn't have any positive covid tests you know that they they fought through they battled through the season when so many other teams kind of you know maybe weren't all in it to win it and the the jack Uh rabbit certainly uh uh, made the most of the spring season last year and I'm just wondering, you know, with the way that game ended against Sam Houston State, how about of the mindset of this team? Like, the, obviously their hunger level's got to be right up there because they know they were so close. But uh, in, in talking to the team, what, what has that been like? What is their approach to this season? Is it any different? Do they know, like, is there an added hunger there because they know it was so close? I think there is, and I think, you know, that, that goes without saying. I mean, yeah. you know, we've all seen teams, uh, you know, who make it to a championship game and fall short, and, you know, they have some sort of slogan or mantra, you know, like, you know, finish the job or unfinished business and all this kind of stuff. And, and I wondered if the Jacks were going to take an attitude like that, and they haven't. And I think that's a good thing because I think while, yeah, they want to push the fact that, you know, we came so close and we didn't accomplish the ultimate goal – and we want to get back there and, you know, essentially anything less than that wouldn't be satisfactory. I think they also are doing a really good job of recognizing and reminding themselves and making sure part of the message is the fact that just because you made it to the national championship game and every player from that team is back doesn't mean you've got a guaranteed ticket to get back there again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, the, we know how deep the Missouri Valley Conference is and, you know, the FCS as a whole maybe isn't terribly deep. I, I know I think every year we kind of think there's maybe three, four teams in the Valley and then another three, four teams around the country that are actual, legit national championship contenders. Right. Um, but, you know, that's enough to make it – how many times – how many teams have the Jacks had over the years? You know, teams with Jack, Jake Winicky and Dallas Goddard and Taron Christian, and, you know, these fantastic players that couldn't even make it to Frisco, mm-hmm. let alone win it. And I think guys like Logan Backus, some of the other upperclassmen, even Preston Tetzloff, who has since moved on, that's been a real big part of their message is, guys, you can't just assume that because we made it once, we're going to get back. Yeah, we want to win the national championship, 
but we kind of get there first. Yeah. And when you're playing in the Valley, an 11-game schedule, that's going to be really, really hard. So th- there's no added – they aren't adding additional pressure on themselves by saying, we were so close, we have to get back there. They're just going to again take the, the stig mantra of take it one game at a time, just go 1-0 and each week. I mean, I think there's some pressure. You know, I, I was a little bit surprised at how consistently stig – through practice early in the season was pushing uh thinking back to the national championship game uh you know the score of that game was 23 21 and every time i attended a practice i heard stig say the words 23 to 21 multiple times they even actually had uh, a period at the end of practice that they called 23 21 period uh so he was definitely taking the attitude that i want you guys thinking about that i want that to be something that drives you now, he did say once the season started and they got into game week, he was going to stop doing that, that it was essentially just a, a sort of preseason thing. Um, but I, I think when you, when you do that and when you kind of want your kids thinking about, hey, you had a great year, but you came up short, you know, what were the things you could have done that could have made the difference? And this is where you want to go. I mean, that's pressure. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that setting a goal that high, there's pressure along with that. But I do think uh, the Jacks have been so consistent over the years in uh, you know, kind of their messaging and and Stig's constant, you know, one and zero every week and leave nothing to chance and play every play like it's your last. I mean, we all kind of make fun of how those things are cliched and they are, uh, but I think when you're as consistent with them as this program has been, they become less cliches and more just kind of you know rules to live by, so to speak. And and it's served them pretty well. And I'm not saying they're going to get back to Frisco again, uh, but if they don't, I don't think it's going to be because they had you know, the wrong attitude or put too much pressure or not enough pressure. I think it's just going to be because someone beat them. The biggest, uh, I guess, you know, unknown and, you know, the, the obviously the, the biggest newcomer is quarterback Chris Oladakun. Uh, he comes from Samford and South Florida. He, of course, is in because Gronowski is out with a season-ending injury that he suffered in the national championship game. He beat out uh, Keaton Heidi. So, I mean... The, Give us a little bit of information about him and just how he fits within this Jackrabbit uh, team and specifically the offense. Well, we'll see for sure how he, you know, performs in game situations because we haven't seen that yet. Um, But obviously he's proven he can play and play well at the FCS level. He has experience at the FBS level, which the Jacks have never had a quarterback come in who, you know, actually played at the FBS level, let alone started, uh, which Chris did. Um, I think he's going to remind people a lot of Taron Christian. Uh, similar size, similar build, um, similar skill set. You know, he's Mark was at times almost you know a running back in playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. Not to say he couldn't throw. Obviously, he threw a tremendous deep ball, and I felt like he was improving as a passer as the season went on. But he was also you know very much a, a not just a threat to run, but you know like that was kind of part of the game plan. Whereas I think with Chris, uh, he's every bit as capable of running. He might have a couple 100-yard rushing games. But he might also have games where he never has to run once uh, because I think he's a, a guy who can improve this passing game, make it more explosive. Uh, they added Landon Wolf, a, a Big 12 receiver who has, uh, again, actually played at the FBS level with Oklahoma State, wasn't just some scrub that you know transferred because he was never playing. Uh, so that's going to make their passing game a lot better. Um, you know, Isaiah Davis had such a breakout season and you know as the year went on, he demands to get the ball. You know, you, mm-hmm. you just can't. You just can't let that guy sit on the sidelines. I don't care how good Pierre Strong is or any of these other things. So, you know, it should be a really dynamic offense. Um, I just think Chris will be a little bit more in the vein of Taron in that you know he can run, but 
he might not necessarily need to. We we can probably go back and look at yeah, there were games that Terran Christian rushed for 130 yards, mm-hmm. uh, but there were there were games where he threw for 300 and Pierre Strong ran for 100 and Terran didn't need to run. Right. I think that's kind of how they'd like it to shake out. Okay, and you mentioned Isaiah Davis, and of course he did have that breakout, uh, especially the national championship game, going over 100 yards, had that monster, uh, what, 85-yard touchdown run that had a uh, lot of people talking and the stadium mm-hmm. rocking. Uh, do you foresee Pierre Strong and Isaiah Davis being in the backfield more together, uh, or is this going to be kind of more 50-50 in terms of, you know, the, like split evenly down the middle between Strong and Davis getting carries a game? Uh, it could end up being like kind of a a 50-50 split or something close to it. I don't think they have a number in mind. You know, I don't think they're saying we want to give, we want to keep their carries as even as we can, or we want to give Isaiah 60% of the carries. I think they're going to play them both a lot more than they did, as you alluded to. Uh, But there will certainly be times where there's only one of them, especially because, you know, they have good tight ends, they have good receivers. You Mm -hmm. you can't have eight skill players on the field at the same time. So that will be limited to some degree. Um, but I think for the most part, they're going to they're gonna ride the hot hand, you know. And the nice thing about Isaiah and Pierre is, A, they get along great and they're not selfish. They're not like, hey, I need my carries and I don't want, you know, what. there's none of that going on. But on top of that, they're also different styles. You know, it would be harder to maybe figure out how to handle how you use those guys, how to split up carries if they were the same guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're, they're different styles, you know, Pierre's a guy who – you know, can juke and jive and, and try to make guys miss in the open field, whereas Isaiah Davis is trying to run people over. You know, so depending on what kind of defense you're facing a given week, you know, there might be games where Pierre only gets six or seven carries and Isaiah gets 25. There might be games where Pierre gets 20 carries and Isaiah doesn't get used as much. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I think everything is set up uh, with the depth they have, with the balance they have, and just with the team-first attitudes that these guys have. But I don't see it being a, a real uh, problem or, or, or issue or anything they have to really contend with throughout the year. What's the biggest strength that the Jackrabbits possess this year outside of the depth, which we know is very strong? It, I mean, the offensive line was great last year. The defensive line, uh, you know, got a lot of pressure, especially in that game against Delaware. If you were to look at a specific position, uh, and granted, you know, like we said, not a lot of new faces because everyone's back. But what would you say is the biggest strength that the Jackrabbits have? I think it's how good they are on the offensive and defensive lines. Um, because as much as we talk about, you know, how quarterback is the most position important position in sports, and you know, we love having skill players that are insanely talented and everything. That's what it comes down to. That's why North Dakota State won eight national championships. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember this is a. Not certainly at all an apples to apples comparison, but I remember when the Sioux Falls Storms indoor football team had won like, you know, 10 championships in a row or something. And I asked Curtis Riggs, their coach, like, well, how do you keep doing this all the time? And he was like, people always focus on the quarterback and the receivers and the guys scoring all the touchdowns. But he's like, we're so much better than everyone else on the offensive and defensive lines. And we have, when you're that dominant up front on both sides of the ball, you can plug guys in and out at quarterback, running back, receiver, because you're just going to out physical people. And you look at the Jackrabbits over the years, you know, why didn't they win a national championship when they had Zach Zenner and Austin Sumner and Jake Winicky and some of those other guys? Well, I think it's because when they faced off against a team like North Dakota State, uh, they were overmatched on the offensive and defensive lines. I'm not saying those Jacks teams sucked, you know, up front, mm-hmm. that, that they were soft or anything like that. They had, there were a lot of really good players mm-hmm. uh, on the offensive and defensive lines for all those teams. But I don't think they ever had 
the balance across the board. You mentioned the depth, but not just the depth. You know, like a lot of teams on the offensive line, you know, maybe they have a really good left tackle and a really good center, and then they're, you know, maybe trying to hide a guy at guard, you know, or, or cover somebody else up with a better player. And the Jacks, I think Jason Eck would probably tell you to a man, he's probably had to do that before too. Uh, but the offensive line they have right now that, that they had this past spring season where nobody got hurt, uh, they all basically played every meaningful snap through the whole thing, they had five all-conference caliber guys. You know, Maybe they weren't, maybe none of them were the absolute elite top offensive linemen in the Valley, but all five of them were all-conference caliber. And then you look at the defensive line, and Jesus, it's, it's 10, 12 deep. Yes. You know, you, yep. got, you got your four starters in any given game, but the four guys backing them up have just as many sacks and TFLs and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, they're just so good up front now. And that's something that I think they recognized a long time ago. Hey, if we're ever going to compete with NDSU, yeah, it's great having Zach Zenner. It's great having Dallas Goddard. But this is what we got to do. And they're finally seeing that, that plan, I guess, uh, pay off, and that's why they're so much better now. Is that something that they can sustain success with in terms of the the depth on the offensive line and defensive line? Not that they've gotten to that point, you know, getting these players in and stuff on a yearly basis. Is that something that we think that they can do continually year in and year out? Well, I think so. I mean, it comes down mostly to recruiting, and they've done a really good job of that. I think Jason Eck, in particular, uh, has done a really good job of of targeting the right offensive linemen. Um, I've heard other coaches around the region tell me uh, that they think very highly of the job Jason does in identifying talent on the offensive line and then developing it. Um, and, you know, once you kind of get that thing going and establish something and, you know, then other kids want to be a part of it. You know? And you can see him building it up. You know, guys like Mason McCormick and Aaron Johnson, who are, you know, arguably their two best offensive linemen, Garrett Greenfield right now, you know, those are still youngish guys, you know or I guess Johnson's not, but, but Johnson's another guy who kind of worked his way up from, you know, being sort of a project. He was a guy that, like, I remember when he was a true freshman, them just saying, like, yeah, we, we kind of see. They, they didn't say, oh, my God, this guy's going to be a, you know, three-time all-conference. They were just like, hey, we, we, we like this guy. We got a couple young dudes who there's some potential here. Well, they all have potential. It's, you know, is the coaching staff able to, you know, get that potential out of them? Yeah, and they're doing that right now. And then when you do that, it makes it that much easier easier to continue to recruit more guys like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if and when Jason Eck eventually moves on to a higher level and takes another job, you know, then maybe that'll be a question of how they can do that. But, you know, once you kind of get that foundation set, um, just look at what's going on in Fargo, right. in James Madison, and some of those other places. It, you, you get a really good thing going, it's hard to break it up. If, there, if you could say that there is one weakness on this team or one position that's maybe not as – strong as what the Jackrabbits need to be to get over that hump, win that national championship, what would it be? Um, they really don't have a weakness. I, I really don't think they do. Um, they're, they're thin at running back. Uh, they, they have, the, which sounds weird because they have two of the best ones in the country, mm-hmm. uh, but, but there's not really anything after that. And just the, the, the backups after that are true freshmen that have never played. So if Isaiah or Pierre or, heaven forbid, both of them were to get hurt, they'd be in trouble there. Um, I think uh, the secondary is good. I think it could be better. And I think that's not that's not a knock on the guys that are back there. I just think they can play better. Uh, Michael Griffin, Josh Manchigaya, they're good safeties. I think they can perform better than they did last year. Uh, Don Gardner's an All-American corner. I think whether it's Dyshawn Gales or Malik Lofton, the guy on the other side, I think can be better. Uh, linebacker, they're very good, obviously, with Bacchus and Adam Bach and uh, you know a, a ton of depth there. 
Uh, Isaiah Stalberg, the former Nebraska safety, is kind of moving into a the hybrid linebacker role there. Mm-hmm. He's not even starting, but I mean, he's going to play a lot and, and, and I think be a, an impact guy. We talked about the defensive line. Um, and then you go on the offense. I mean, I wouldn't call quarterback a weakness, but, you know, we don't know yet how Chris is going to play, how that's going to work out. Uh, wide receiver, I, I thought that was going to be a weakness going into the spring because Kate Johnson was gone and, you know, you didn't know are, are the Yankee twins capable of, of kind of carrying the load of being the top guys. Right. Uh, they proved that they are. And then, like I said, you throw in a Landon Wolf who comes over from Oklahoma State and, and some of the younger guys, Canyon Bauer, uh, start to, to emerge. Um, I think they're good there, too. And then, then and then tight end, you know, Zach Hines, Tucker Kraft. Those guys both could be NFL prospects. So you tell me, where's, where's the weakness? Right. I mean, this, this, this is hard to find something. That, that, that's great. That is great news. And I think that kind of leads to some high expectations, certainly amongst the fan base. I think this is the most excited that the Jackrabbit fan base has been for football in a very long time. We saw them uh, turn out in, in droves in, in Frisco yeah. and, and make a lot of noise. So hopefully we get packed stadiums this year there at, uh, at the Dana uh, J. Dykehouse Stadium there. And I at least that's what I would hope. I would That's what I would anticipate. And you just have to wonder, like, you know, going into this season opening game against Colorado State, it almost feels like it would be a disappointment, I think, to many if they lose a game to Colorado State, an FBS team. Yeah, I was just, as you called, I was kind of working on, on some Colorado State preview stuff. And, you know, the Jacks are only one in nine in FBS games. Um, but obviously a lot of those losses have been close, games that, you know, they very easily could have or should have won. But then the other thing is they've all 10 of them were against power school, power conference schools, mm-hmm. you know, either from the big 10 or the big 12. I don't want to knock on Colorado state or act like they're some crappy program. That's not the truth at all, right. but they're not a power conference team. You know, they're a mountain West group of five. And over the last couple of years, not a particularly good one. Um, they were one and three this spring. I think they were three and eight the year before that or four and eight, something like that. Um, they had three losing seasons in a row. And you just look a few years ago, um, I think, to be fair, I think it was the year Chris Strebler was a senior, so they were good that year, but USD went to Bowling Green, uh, a, a, a MAC school, you know, a, one of those group of five teams, mm-hmm. and beat them pretty comfortably, uh, and it wasn't really even seen as that much of an upset, you know? Right. I was like, well, okay, USD's a really good Valley team, and Bowling Green's just a, it, just a, a group of five team. Colorado State is just a group of five team. Now, yeah, they still have 85 scholarships and, and all whatever the other advantages are, but against the team that was just the runner-up in the national championship game and has everybody back, I mean, I hesitate to put too much pressure on the Jacks, but yeah, I kind of feel like they should win this game, mm-hmm. that it isn't just a, oh, maybe they can win or it's winnable. I mean, I think when you're as good as the Jacks have gotten to be, any FBS game is I shouldn't say any because, you know, we would see, I guess, they play Alabama. against an Ohio State yeah. or an Alabama or something. But, yeah. you know, the Minnesota team, they almost beat a couple of years ago, ended up winning 11 games. Right. You know, and threatening to make it to the Rose Bowl. And the Jacks very, very nearly beat them. Mm-hmm. So almost any of them is, is potentially winnable. This one, yeah, I kind of feel like it's not a stretch to say they maybe should win this game. And we'll, I haven't seen, I don't know, have you seen a line out of Vegas? Because I wouldn't be surprised if they're, Three-point favorites, even um, on the road. I haven't. I can try and pull that up here now, but I, yeah, I don't think it. It's a significant line, if anything, and um, you know, for Colorado State. Now that leads me into uh, my my final question here: is what do you predict is going to happen with the Jackrabbits this season? Uh, you don't have to say national champions, but like, uh, is 
ten and two is a eleven and one. What where do you think they finish at the end of the year? I think they're going to have a really good record. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd say they're going to run the table by any means or you know ten and two, eleven and one, whatever. Like you said, uh, Colorado State. Like we just said, maybe they should win, but that's still a, a very losable game too. I mean, that's probably the best team they're going to play, other than maybe North Dakota State. Um, so there's that one. The, the thing that that uh, I was kind of noticing looking at there, it's a favorable schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's part not to take anything away from what the Jacks accomplished in the spring, but they had a very favorable path to Frisco once they got that number one seed didn't have North Dakota State on their side of the bracket or James Madison or anything, you know, that the path was kind of laid out for them to get to Frisco. And to their credit, they took advantage of it and got there. It's a little similar this this fall here in that you look at their schedule and the best teams they play, uh, North Dakota State, North Dakota, Southern Illinois, Northern Iowa, those games are all at home. Yep. You know, so and and now granted the Jacks haven't been that much different of a home versus road team. They've you know, gone to Fargo and won a few times, gone to, you know, Normal Illinois, Youngstown, you and I, they've gone on the road and won a lot of big games and they've lost some home games that they shouldn't have. But still, I think anytime you look at the schedule and say, okay, our toughest opponents are all coming to our place, that gives you a real good opportunity to, to give yourself a really good record. Absolutely. And again, yeah, the getting NDSU at home this year is, is certainly key, and they, I think they want to get that bad taste out of their mouths from a couple years ago when uh, you know Jabori Gibbs went down, and the, you know game day was here for that game. I think that, uh, uh, but I will say NDSU scares me a little bit now with uh, Quincy Patterson being named the the starting quarterback there, the the Virginia Tech transfer. North Dakota State is not going to go away quietly. They're going to be awfully good this year as well. I'm really intrigued to see what kind of team they have because you know they lost two or three games last year, whatever it was, and didn't make it even to the semis. And people are kind of like, oh, my God, what you know, what's happened to the Bison? And I think as the season wore on and you saw you know, they had a lot of injuries, they had some guys opt out, uh, the quarterback situation didn't play out well at all. I think it's safe to say in hindsight that was a bad North Dakota State team. Now, granted, a bad North Dakota State team is still you know a top-ten team in the FCS. But my point is um, I don't expect them to be that bad again. That was an unusually not as good as we're used to Bison team. You you mentioned the quarterback with Patterson coming over from Virginia Tech. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't a significant upgrade from what they had last year and doesn't become a big-time playmaker. Yeah. Uh, their offensive and defensive lines, which we just got done talking about how that was so important to everything they did over the years, it took a step back last year. And knowing their coaching staff and how they pride themselves in being a physical football team, I don't expect that to be the case again this fall. So I think they're going to be a lot better. Will they be better than SDSU will they be you know the national champion again is is their dynasty maybe starting is this the beginning of the end maybe it is but you know even the beginning of the end so to speak for North Dakota State is is still one of the better teams in the country and like you said that's been a great rivalry for the Jacks and <laughs> they haven't even necessarily played them better at home than on the road so we we'll see how that one plays out right and I have seen I don't know if this is accurate or not but I'm seeing SDSU is a three and a half point favorite that's okay. in one that I see. So I don't know if uh, that seems a little – I mean, I, I guess it shouldn't be all that surprising, but it's still like, well, I mean, so we'll see. There, Not every place is giving a money line here, so it's, it's just one site that I, I found. But uh, we'll that, see that, that's, that sounds about like what I would have expected. I mean, when you think about it again, like I said, Colorado State is – they're FBS, but they're group of five. Mm-hmm. They were one and three in the spring. They were – I think the previous two years they were three and nine and four and eight. 
and the Jacks just went to the national championship, and the Jacks got everybody back. You know, that that really doesn't surprise me that much. Yep, we'll see how it goes Friday night on Fox Sports 1. You'll be there, so enjoy your time in Colorado. Uh, in, enjoy the season, and uh, uh, we'll hopefully uh, touch base throughout the season here, see how it's going. Uh, but it should be a very fun ride for the for the Jackrabbits this year and their fans. So uh, in, enjoy it, and enjoy Colorado, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Nate. See yep. ya. Thanks, Matt. Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader. Always appreciate his time. As always here, great stuff, great insight, and he, <laughs> no weaknesses, that's what he thinks. I mean, that, that, and I I tend to agree with him. Maybe the secondary little depth, he, he said, you know, if Isaiah Davis or Pierre Strong go down, that would be great. Special teams, who knows? I mean, it always seems like kicking has some sort of issue, but boy, I mean, this is a very exciting time. This is the most excited I've been for SDSU football in a very long time uh, just because you can sense it. Like This team is the real deal, and we'll see if they can get over that hump and get to Frisco again. you got to get to Frisco first before you can win the national championship. But, boy, that would be sweet if it happens. We're going to have a few final thoughts here on this elongated college football uh podcast pre or the foot uh, college football season preview here on the sports block podcast we'll see if we can get jeff lloyd second from the lockdown browns podcast and then just fin- finish up with some thoughts uh this marathon podcast i really hope you've enjoyed it uh, it's been a lot of fun putting this together here this week for you but always appreciate matt zimmer from the argus leader for all things jackrabbits please check him out uh very good you know game recaps game previews everything uh, check out uh, Matt Zimmer on Twitter at ArgusMattZ. Also, um, check out uh, the Argus Leader for all things Jackrabbits. Uh, and also go to GoJacks.com. A lot of good, hardworking people at the Sports Information Department keeping you up to date on the latest regarding Jackrabbit athletics. Hopefully that basketball schedule comes out for the men here sometime soon. But we'll have some final thoughts here on this uh, college football season. It's mere days away. Can't wait for it. So that's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com. We're going to wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, Jeff Lloyd, very busy man uh, with Browns Cut Day, uh, all the podcasts that he does. Of course, he's with the Lockdown Browns Podcast, but he's very busy doing other uh, podcasts and stuff. He is... Uh, you know, jumping off because he's he's great at what he does, and that's why we have him on this podcast because he's fantastic at what he does, the knowledge and the depth and everything he can provide us names of all these guys that because that's what we're looking for is guys playing on Saturdays that are going to make the jump to the NFL draft, and we will get him on either next week or the week after because uh, we always appreciate his time just like we appreciate everyone's time. I always appreciate Travis's time for doing this with me every week. For Charlie jumping on, especially during college football season. For Matt Zimmer with the Argus Leader for his time today and and any time I ask him. Uh, and always appreciate Marcus when he comes on. So any, everyone that comes on the podcast always appreciate their time and, and want to make sure I'm not wasting it. So uh, we'll get Jeff on here in the next week or so talk about the the college football players that we'll be seeing so we can include that in our NFL preview podcast which is next week so definitely stay uh, look forward to that uh, it's not going to be nearly as in-depth as the college football one but it's fine we'll have a good NFL uh, season preview uh, podcast next week 
for you nonetheless. Again, just to kind of go over what I, I'm changing this. I'm making an update here. Texas A&M, I have them beating LSU. So Texas A&M is going to be 10-2, LSU 9-3. So that's where I'm going to get A&M uh, into the Sugar Bowl. They will take on Iowa State. So again, uh, just to go over what Travis and I have, we have the same five championship games. Clemson versus UNC in the ACC. Oklahoma versus Iowa State in the Big 12. Ohio State versus Wisconsin in the Big 10. Oregon versus USC in the Pac-12. Alabama versus Georgia in the SEC. We have the same winners except in the Pac-12 I have Oregon. Travis has USC. Charlie has UNC over Clemson. A big upset there. Georgia over Texas A&M. Oklahoma over Iowa State. Washington over Arizona State. And Ohio State over Wisconsin. Uh, our college football playoff teams, Travis, Alabama the one, Ohio State the two, I believe, Oklahoma the three, Clemson the four. Uh, I have Ohio State the one, Alabama the two, Oklahoma three, Georgia four. Charlie has uh, Ohio State, Alabama, or he, he, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma. Georgia and Ohio State advancing to the national championship game. Travis and I both have Alabama versus Georgia. Do we? No, he doesn't have Georgia. Who the hell did he have? He had Oklahoma, I think. Regardless, we both have Alabama winning the national championship, and I pray I'm wrong on that. I want Georgia to win this uh, this year. Charlie does have Georgia over Ohio State. Well, the key to this and the key to this coming together is going to be Georgia. Can they beat Clemson this week? That is the monster matchup of the week. Looking forward to that game. That's Saturday night, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. We got the Jackrabbits on FS1 on Friday night taking on Colorado State. Uh, you heard uh, Matt and I both say, like, this is a game that the Jackrabbits should win. So that's great. Also, Heisman Trophy. Spencer Rattler for both Travis and I. Charlie goes with JT Daniels, the quarterback from Georgia. Makes sense. You win the, the national championship, you deserve to be the Heisman Trophy winner, even though that is given out before the national championship game and the college football playoff. So, for everyone here in this uh, this college football podcast, we are looking forward to college football this year. We're looking forward to a normal year. Last year, it was great that we had college football, but it was cheapened. It was just short again with COVID and stuff. Here's hoping that we get a normal, awesome college football season, that, that we see a lot of uh, interesting games, that we see some pandemonium and some intrigue with the college football playoff. Let's go, Georgia. Let's get this deal done. Let's go. Let's beat Clemson, even though I like Clemson. Let's go, Georgia. Let's get this done. Uh, go Gophers. We'll see what they can do in the rain against Ohio State. Likely won't do much. Go Vatek. Let's go Hokies. Let's do something this year. Go, Come on, Justin Fuente. Let's do it. Show show everyone what you got if you can beat UNC Friday night. A lot going in here. So we will be talking plenty of college football uh, next week and certainly the weeks to come. In addition to, again, the big NFL season preview next week, we'll get Jeff Lloyd the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast on in the next couple of weeks uh, with his thoughts on players to look at here as we uh, – that we watch on Saturdays and see who gets drafted next year in April's draft. So for Travis and Charlie and Matt Zimmer, I am Nathan Stack. And as always, thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Podcast can be found on podcast.com. Follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken. Follow Travis Crins on Twitter at Travis Crins. Follow Charlie Hildebrand on Twitter at C.E. Hildebrand. 
Follow Matt Zimmer on Twitter at at Argus Matt Z. Facebook Nathan Stack and a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. Enjoy college football. It is back. College game day may be coming to your city. Not likely, but if you live in a big city like Clemson, you know, or like or Tuscaloosa, wherever, enjoy it. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, enjoy the college football season. I'm Nathan Sacken. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week with an NFL season preview. Enjoy this. I hope you enjoyed this college football 2021-2022 season preview here, here on the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you next week on another episode of the Sports Block Podcast.